is Alexa Ashley with Eyes Wide. In this conversation, I get to sit down with Daisha Bellhumer to talk about her experience growing up as a gay black woman in America and how she's found confidence in her identity despite societal barriers and is working to give others the same. Daisha is a graduate from the University of Washington's Foster School of Business and is the founder of Undefined, a clothing line designed to encourage the black community, people of color, members of the LGBTQ community and women to live outside of the box society has placed them in and empower those who wear it to express the most important aspects of their identity, culture, and beliefs. I was born in Corrales, Oregon to a single parent. Um, and shortly after that, we moved to Federal Way, Washington, um, where I lived for about 12, 13 years. I went to Federway High School, uh, which is uh, located within the most diverse uh, public school system, one of the most diverse public school systems uh, in the nation. Um, so I was always a part of this melting pot culture. Um, and then I went on to college at the University of Washington um, and went for a business degree uh, with the Foster School of Business. Um, the feel of growing up for me, it was always very family oriented. Uh, I grew up with actually a lot of my cousins, uh, very close cousins that uh, were more like, I think my brothers growing up and then childhood friends that I grew up with. And that came, became close to me, close enough for me to call them my cousins. So as much as I like to play and enjoy the same things that other children did, I also had to grow up a lot faster. Being a, the child of a single parent, being an African-American woman, um, you know, all of those just mean meant that I had to grow up a lot faster than a lot of my other counterparts. Things like learning how to take care of yourself as soon as you get off from school, being able to walk yourself home from the bus stop, knowing that you have to do your homework and be able to cook yourself a snack and do all those things before you were able to go outside, which could mean, you know, that you're doing all those things before your mom even gets home. Learning how to prep dinner at a young age so that it's easier for your mom to be able to make dinner when she comes home. Um, so just learning how to take a lot more of an active role in the household uh, at a very young age. Growing up as Daisha was, I think it was fun, but it was also knowing that you had to have a lot more of an adult-like life. So when I was when I was younger, I was raised, being raised by my mom. She really didn't raise me trying to teach me the differences of black and white. You know, I didn't ra I wasn't raised automatically from you know kindergarten up just knowing that I was different because of the color of my skin, and so the realizing point that I noticed like, okay, I'm different was that point when I actually looked up the definitions of white and black in, in the dictionary. And part of that was because it was Black History Month at my school, um, you know, and like every other elementary school, you learn about the civil rights movement and Martin Luther King Jr. and Rosa Parks. And um, being an African-American child, uh, I think a lot of teachers don't really realize that maybe as a child, you don't really realize that you're African American. And so it, there came a point where it was kind of like them asking, well, you know, like, what was your take? Like, how do you think it would feel to be this color during that time? Um, and I felt like they kind of had a habit of asking people of color that question rather than just anybody and everybody, because at that age, we really don't know. Um, and I, you know, I kind of looked at it like, well, why, why are you asking me this question? You know, like, why am I supposed to know the answer to that question? And so I went home, you know, and I had this conversation with my mom about what is black? What is white? What do these things actually mean? And what does it mean for me to be black? 
Um, and that's when I actually looked, looked, up, looked that up in the dictionary. And I actually still own that dictionary to this day, the Webster's Dictionary. Um, I can remember like what my room looked like when I looked it up. I can remember exactly where I was sitting when I looked up that in the dictionary. Um, and at that age as a child, I think that really I just knew what I processed at that time reading that in the dictionary was one, I was different. And two, that my difference was looked down upon. It wasn't something that was good. Um, and so from that point, that's how I started to move through life was just understanding that I'm looked down upon generally because I have this color skin, because I am labeled as a black person, as being black. And so knowing that it just changed the way that I navigated through the world. I think it almost kind of like removed my innocence as a child, you know, because it's like as a child, you really don't, you don't, you have like an innocent happiness, you know, about you. Um, and I think that it kind of just removed that innocence. And it was like, at that point, I had to be automatically conscious of everything I did um, because I had to understand what story that told to other people out in the public eye. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. I mean, I think really from that point, it's like, it's almost like in my mind, there was just a dichotomy, you know, like there was only two worlds. There was the white world, there was the black world. And if you didn't fall into the white world, you automatically fell into the black world. If you didn't fall into the black world, you automatically fell into the white world. So there was no way to kind of straddle in between. And so that's just kind of the lens that I looked at everything through. So for me, everything was either a black or a white issue at that point. Um, so, you know, I'm, I looked at economics, like how much money can, do you have? At least what does it look like you have based on your appearance? You know, and so I started to kind of figure out, okay, generally, you know, those who are labeled as white dress maybe a little bit, you know, a little bit better, have less hand-me-downs, have cleaner clothes, but then those who are black, maybe not so much, you know? And so I think I just started to move through life really labeling things as if it was white, it meant this, and if it was black, it meant this. Um, and then as I got older, I mean, you start to see those, see those things in education. You know, you see white school districts versus African-American or colored or people of color or minority school districts. And you see how things are treated differently. You see the differences in the amount of money that's granted to each of those schools. You see differences in the conditions of their gyms, in the conditions of their schools, in the people that actually go to those schools. So I think from that point, it automatically changed the way that I was even able to view the world. So I automatically started looking at everything through the lens of what is black and what is white. I mean, I think for me, really, it, it was my mom, you know? Um, I saw the way that my mom struggled being, in, being a single parent, getting no help from, you know, what should have been my father. Um, and, you know, that, that caused her to have to drop out of college, you know, because she got pregnant with me while being in college. Um, and I saw just the way that all of that really just affected her um, going forward, affected her ability to raise me, affected her uh, ability to be as present as she would have liked to be in my life. Um, because, you know, you have to sacrifice making money or being a whole part of your child's life when you're a single parent, you know, putting food on the table or being president of, as, at a basketball game. Um, and so you've got those two weights. And so I think that really what it came down to was it's like, I'm not doing this really for myself. It, I'm doing it for my mom. You know, I'm doing it so that when she hits 60 years old, she's not worried about, well, how do I pay for all these other things that are regular life expenses when, you know, I was told growing up that I should be retired by 65 years old. You know, and realistically, that's 
that's just not, that's not a retiring age now. And so really my drive came from need, feeling like I needed to be that counterpart for my mom because she didn't have that. So I think for, for other people who are looking for, I guess, a drive, it's really, I think it's just finding your why. Mm -hmm. Like, why is it that you get up and do what you do every morning? You know, because I think if it's just to make money, that's not going to be a big enough reason why. And you're never going to really have the drive to really do what you do. Your reason has to go a lot beyond that. You know, for my reason, it's to make sure that my mom's taken care of and she doesn't have to want. It's to make sure that my grandma is able to go comfortably because at the age that she's at, you know, she it's only a matter of time before she reaches that point. And there's so many things that she still hasn't seen as an 80 year old African-American woman, you know, who went through the civil rights movement, who actually fought in a court of law for her equal right to be able to live in an apartment complex when a white man refused to rent to her and my grandfather, who was white, you know, so. I don't, I think my drive comes from, it's just, I have a purpose that's a lot bigger than me. You know, I feel like I'm striving also not just to put myself into a position of success, but also to help bring other people who are African-American, who are people of color, who are LGBTQ, who are from marginalized minority communities and help bring them over the fence so that they can do the same thing. Because if we don't have enough of us who are willing to help each other get a leg up, then, you know, we're going to continue to just struggle as whole groups throughout the rest of our lives. So mm -hmm. I think it's just, it's really just about finding a why and finding a reason or a purpose that's bigger than yourself. That's awesome. So it's like one, the one last step, it's like on the practical side, like a need for your family and your mom. And then on the other side, it's like this whole people group that has been historically marginalized and especially members of the LGBTQ community and people of color and that combination and lifting them up, yeah? Definitely. And I mean, when I think about just the, the things that the, those people of color, African-Americans, Indians uh, or Native Americans, Mexicans, LGBTQ, like all the things that they've had to go through and struggle just to have basic human rights that are aligned with those who wrote the constitution is, I mean, that's really why I do it, you know? And I see the ways that those affect families that are similar to mine from the prison complex to lack of education, to just really feeling like there's no way for you to win and trying to find a way to make it. You know, um, I see all those trends on a daily basis. I see the way that those affect people in my family. I see the ways those affect people in my community. And I feel like if there's not people like me who are willing to kind of be the staple of the community or lead the charge, then we're always, we're gonna continue to remain in that position. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that, that's why I do it because I feel like there's, there's other people who need to be able to look and see somebody that looks like them doing what they've always wished to do. You know, and until they see that, they're not really going to feel like that's something that's achievable. Mm -hmm. You've said before, and it's a feeling that I get as well, that you're confident in your identity as a gay woman of color. Mm -hmm. And for somebody else who's maybe younger or just hasn't gotten to that point yet, what would you tell them? I think honestly, it really comes down to not listening to other people's opinions of yourself and allowing you to discover who you are. Um, if I would have allowed myself to <laughs> 
Because I mean, there, you know, people have said lots of things about me. I mean, from when I was middle school, in middle school, before I even knew that I was, you know, realized that I was a gay woman, you know, I, I've had people tell me I look like a man or I talk like a man or I've had a nickname when I was saying in. That. Objectively, they're no, they're they're you know that it's an insult. Yeah, you know, at that age, it's an insult. I've yeah. had you know when I was in middle school, I had the nickname Dykeisha, because it's Dyke, you know, as meaning that you're gay. And I, at that age, I don't know that I'm gay, um, you know. And so if I would allowed, if I would have allowed all of those things to shape me um, or to grasp a hold of my mental then I think that I would be a completely different person. I would probably be very shelled off. I would not be very comfortable in my own skin because society doesn't allow you to be comfortable. Society tells you that something's wrong with you. Society tells you that you should be this way and not that way. Um, and so I think primarily for me, one of the things that really helped was just support of the people that were around me. You know, the people that I considered to be my family, that I really considered to be my close friends. Um, having those people support me made it so I didn't really care what the per the stranger walking down the street said as they walked past me or what the other person on the other team said as they were playing a basketball game against me. You know, as long as I was accepted and welcomed by those that were closest to me, um, it made me a lot more comfortable, you know, and I think that also I took that in strides. You know, it wasn't me having to be comfortable with being a black gay woman all at once. It was first I had to be comfortable with being black. <laughs> then I had to be comfortable with being a woman. And then I had to be comfortable with being gay. And so, you know, you go through these different stages of comfortability. And I think it's hard to be able, like, if you're somebody who's just grappling with all three, it, it's hard. You know, you, there's so many intersectionalities that really, there, and there's no book of how to deal with that, you know? And so I think it just comes down to really segmenting it into pieces that you're able to deal with at one time. You know, for me, it was first dealing with my racial identity because I felt like that was really most pertinent to who I am. Then it was dealing with my identity as a woman because that's what I first understood. And then it was dealing with my identity as being gay as I became older and fully understood that that's what I was. Um, but until I came to the realization that that's who I am, I wasn't able to start being comfortable. And I think that until you really know who you are, you're not really able to be 100% comfortable in your own skin. Mm -hmm. hmm. So would you say like if somebody that doesn't have that support group or people that accept them for the way they are what do you say just find that community i think find that community or figure out why it is it that what that they don't accept you because i can tell you i wasn't right away accepted when i was gay my mother and i we had a falling out to the where it almost rocked our relationship like our relationship was almost tarnished because of the fact that i was gay <laughs> and she didn't understand the problem was you know it was coming off as she was mad at the fact that I was gay and she didn't want to have a gay daughter. But really what it was at the root was she just didn't understand what it was to be gay. She doesn't understand, you know, that being gay doesn't necessarily mean that you want to be a boy or that you need to change your sexuality, which there are some people who do feel like that, which I, you know, is, is another, a whole nother group. But, you know, it just means that I like women. You know, I, I see myself with a woman. And that is what I am attracted to. And it really just took me and her having to have conversations, her having to have conversations with people who are her friends, who are on you know her same age group, having to tell her their understandings and how they grappled with it and what they learned. And so it really just comes to an educational process. I think it's very easy for people to get frustrated and shut down, especially when it comes to things that they don't know. 
um, or things that they're unfamiliar with. And I think that at that point, it's just about how do I create a conversation? Because if it's somebody who, like, if it's a family member, for for instance, that I, I feel like that's somebody who you would probably care for and who's somebody who cares for you just as much. And I think that at that point, it's not allowing the frustration of, you know, you're not understanding who I am or you won't accept me for who I am. I think it's more so understanding, well, why are they having troubles accepting and start from there and kind of build your way up because you want to be accepted. And I think it's just figuring out how do we go about doing that to where I'm not putting myself at odds, um, but at the same time, I'm helping to educate you and help you understand so that we can be on this level of acceptance. Mm -hmm. You inspire me. Who's inspiring you? And who or what is inspiring you lately? I think really my entire life, my main inspiration has always been my mom. I think like that's really been, really that's why I do everything. You know, I, I could have cared less to go to college. <laughs> I could have cared less to get an education. I could have cared less to get a degree. I could have, I could care less to work in the finance world, you know, um, but I do it for her. You know, I do it because I feel like I've been given a chance or an opportunity that she never had. And so being able to capitalize on that opportunity for the both of us is I feel like something that we need. Um, and also my grandfather, uh, he passed away when I was in high school. And, you know, I just really saw how caring he was for everybody that was around him. Um, he doesn't have to know you, you know, he could, I think that he was more of like a feeler, you know, he could feel people who were going through difficult times. He could feel people who, maybe had issues, you know, he could fill people who just maybe needed to just be loved out a little bit. Um, and so I think that I look to my mom as inspiration for drive and I look to my grandfather as inspiration for character. And those two together kind of make me who I am, I feel like. So the Unity Fist um, was first seen as like a primary symbol for black power. Um, you know, it became a primary symbol for the black power movement um, and is still kind of seen as that to the, that this day. Um, but also today it's kind of taken a turn in that it's seen a lot more as a symbol of unity. So unification, solidarity. Um, and so I kind of did a play on both in that, in, in using the fist. The shackle, it, it's a broken shackle actually. Um, and that's kind of, uh, it goes a little bit with the fist. And so the idea behind it is kind of like through the solidarity of marginalized groups, marginalized people, people of color, that that's really the only way that we're going to break the shackles, that we're going to be able to dismantle structures and systematic, uh, sy basically systems of racism that continue to hold us back. Um, you know, we're not going to be able to do it one off. We're not really going to be able to do it. I don't see as individual groups. It's going to take the solidarity of every marginalized groups of Mexicans coming together, of African-Americans and Africans coming together, of, of Native Americans coming together, Filipinos, Puerto Ricans, Dominicans. I mean, literally every minority group that you can think of, LGBTQ, trans, like every group that you can think of, it's going to take the solidarity and the unification of all of those marginalized groups speaking up and demanding for equal rights, for equal treatment and for humane treatment. I mean, I think that we've reached a point where a lot of ill treatment of people in these groups has been normalized. I mean, how many times do you scroll up and down social media and you see transgender or gay men or women who have been attacked solely because of their sexuality? Mm -hmm. Or how many times do you see um, African-Americans 
or Africans who have been killed by police officers in the line of duty. These are things that we've seen so so often now that they're just normalized. You know, we can see it on the on the TV and we can flip we can flip the channel. We can see it on on social media and we can scroll right past it because it's something that we're so used to seeing now. And so I think that really the only way that we're going to break that and really call attention to what is really happening is through the solidarity of all of these groups. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's where kind of the crown comes in, is that really we're only going to get to see our true potential in being an active group, in being an active group. And, you know, being a group that exercises activism, that's really the only way that we're going to see change, I think, in the system. And until we start to do that, we're so we're, we're going to continue to see, you know, black bodies on the five o'clock news. And, you know, until we decide to take a stand that that's just I feel like what that's it's just it's going to continue to be normal mm -hmm. in, in culture. And so really the reason behind or the, the motivation and the meaning behind that logo is I feel like through solidarity and unification of marginalized groups, that's the only way that we're going to see our true potential in this country. Um, and, you know, African-Americans and Africans, you know, we're said to come from a land of kings and queens. And I think that that was also a play that was added on um, mm -hmm. to the logo. I kind of see... I don't know if they feel this, but it, I kind of see like your line and the graphics as like just reminders of your power. Do you feel that? Or? Yeah, I think so. Um, I mean, you know, these are very bold pieces. You, I think you have, you have to be a bold person to walk around with a power fist or something that's traditionally or, or, and generally understood as a black power fist on your chest. You know, it, it's it's a very strong symbol and it, it commands attention. And you not only have to be a strong individual, but you've all, you have also got to be very thick skinned. I can't tell you how many crazy looks I've see, I've gotten when I've worn, you know, my KXP bomber or when I've worn my shirt that says legalized blackness. And I've had people like, what? What is what do you mean legalized blackness? Like, what does that even mean? You know, you really have to be cut out, I think, for this clothing and I think that that's exactly what it's saying. I think it is a reminder of your strength and of your power. And I think it's a reminder of, you know, you choose what you were defined by. You don't have to be defined by stereotypes. You don't have to be defined by what society says is black or what society says is white or what society says is gay. You get to define that. Um, and I, that, that's really what undefined is about is really turning stereotypes on their heels and allowing the individual to define what they feel is the most important or pertinent aspects of their identity and of their culture and what makes them, them. It's almost like it's a reminder and it's kind of like a call to action. Like, even if you don't feel ready, if you wear it, you kind of have to be ready. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And I mean, and I think it's almost a call to action to be, it's like, you know, it's like, wake up, you know, right now, I feel like a lot of us are asleep, you know, it's, where we're by walking through and just enduring the system we're perpetrating it you know we're allowing it to continue and until we wake up and we're like okay th this is done you know i'm gonna do something about it today whether it's i'm gonna make clothes that call to these types of people and that now make it a blanket statement that is very visible on a t-shirt on a jacket on a pair of pants you know i think that 
that's that, that that's where we're at now, and that's kind of the step that has to be taken. Daisha's latest work can be found at liveundefined.us. Our theme music was made by Kimani Thomas, and support for Eyes Wide comes from listeners like you. Join us at eyeswide.life forward slash join.